Hi, everybody. This is Patrick Piccarelli, co-host of the Hollywood Godfather podcast, with a special request for our listeners. December 12th is Gianni Russo's 80th birthday, which coincides with the publication of his latest book, The Sixth Family, co-authored by me, the first in a series of novels with Gianni as the main protagonist. If you're considering purchasing this book, I thought it would be a nice gesture if you could possibly do it before his birthday and perhaps drop him an email wishing him best wishes on his special day. The book is scheduled to be available on Amazon on November 26th. Gianni knows nothing about this message. I just thought it would be a great surprise for a great guy. Thank you. Now on with the show. Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender tremble. Welcome, everybody, for another Hollywood Godfather. I mean, Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood Godfather podcast. That's I'm, us, man. That's <laughs> us. Yeah. I'm so excited about the continuation of Mark's from last week. I mean, this is insane, this information. And uh, it's. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love that that, uh, that quote by, by Joe Kennedy saying, if I don't have sex every day, I get a headache. Uh, which reminds me, I, I, you excuse me, I have to go get an aspirin. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be back. No, no. I, I, that wasn't Joe's quote, though. That was Jack Jr. <laughs> oh, Jack, Joe. Now it's your image of his uh, his father. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, we are uh, welcoming back uh, Mark Shore, who uh, laid the groundwork for uh, what he is about to tell us. Uh, we had uh, uh, very uh, interesting comments from him. Once again, a, a phenomenal uh, researcher. Very, very, very diligent. And now we're going to get into the meat of this. Mark has uncovered an informant uh, that nobody has ever interviewed. This person has never spoken to anybody about this. And um, Mark Shaw has uh, the scoop. So uh, without any further delay, we return to Mark Shaw. How are you doing, Mark? Well, just fine. Thanks, guys, again for for having me. Uh, as as you know, in the last program, we talked, we set up the whole thing with the Warren Commission, and uh, we we had some uh, conversations that I don't believe anybody has ever paid any attention to. Audio tape conversations between LBJ and Hoover, deciding how they're going to stack the deck on the Warren Commission with any with only people who will look into Oswald alone theories. That's that's it. It's not going to go any further than that. They're not going to let that happen, and, and I'll explain why in a little bit. There's one other conversation that I want to uh, just give you because it does bring Dorothy Kilgallen, who we talked about before, the famous journalist, the woman of integrity, into the fold here. They had another conversation on uh, October 31st of 1964, these two men, and they're talking about some uh, some issues they have with whoever is uh, uh, writing columns or uh, articles, you know, wondering about what happened with JFK and everything else like that. And in here, they're saying that LBJ says, or uh, J. Edgar Hoover says, I think that, of course, as we get next to next, get nearer to next Tuesday, I think the likelihood of this rumoring going along that they can't prove and not will be able to prove, unless, of course, somebody, someone, one of these dirty columnists is very apt to carry something in her column. Well, doesn't take too much imagination to know they're talking about the dirty columnist being Dorothy Kilgallen. They were scared to death of her because she's the only one that's uh, that's um, crossed, uh, you know, crossways with the whole Oswald alone. And has the credibility. Has the credibility. So what happened here? Well, uh, I had found information, you know, uh, in in the in the conversations uh, where they they uh, do admit that Jack Ruby had uh, had um, connections with the Dallas Police Department, and uh, you know uh, you know we we know about that and that it, we're not going to look into it, but we know about that. We're not going to really look into Ruby doing anything. We're just going to look into Oswald. So they're not going to do with that. And that presented me with a situation because Dorothy had written a column. Claimed Dallas cops lived it up at Ruby's place. And Dorothy had gone ahead because she's in New York City. She had some acts that she uh, had promoted in her column. And she talked to some of them and they said, oh, yeah, we used to go over to Jack Ruby's carousel club. And their police were ever say, everywhere. They were comp. They, they were, were all on the payroll. They were on the payroll. over and there. And they so had, I'll tell you something better. They had 40 slot machines in the back. 
Exactly. You let it there go. You go. Exactly. <laughs> and then I found an FBI file that said, you know, Ruby was in good with the police department. So, you know, remember, that's uh, what what, you know, he that's how he was able to get into the damn basement and, and shoot Oswald because the police were there, of course. OK, so uh, they also talk about, by the way, that a big problem for them is this uh, crazy attorney on the West Coast who's representing Jack Ruby. Oh, that's uh, obviously who is that? That's uh, Melvin Bella. Oh. One photograph I want to show you before we go any further, and people can see it in the book. And and really, in the book, all of this is set in context, so you can see how it goes. That is LBJ at his ranch with his really nice-looking cowboy boots and Alan Dulles. Very fascinating to me that they were that they were doing that. Okay, so then we then I went back and I looked at you know what do I need to know about these members of the Warren Commission. I don't know why this information lands on my lap. I, I, I've ended up, and I'm going to brag a little bit about this. Dorothy had the best sources. And, and, and yeah, why? Because she was a woman of the truth and she was respected and all that. I believe I've, over the years, been able to develop that sort of reputation. But I have no idea, you know, why some of this, this evidence that was out there was never looked into. I didn't look into the Warren Commission. Others didn't either. So it's last February, and I'm working, uh, you know, on, on getting the book all done for its publication, which is on the 29th of November, just what, uh, not, not too long. Um, and so um, anyway, I'm working on that, and I get an email. Mr. Shaw, I just watched one of your presentations at the, uh, at the at famous Dallas Library uh, on your most recent book, Collateral Damage, which where I connected the deaths of Marilyn Monroe, Dorothy Kilgallen, JFK, and so on and so forth. You had me on to talk about that book. And he said, uh, I noticed that you talk about Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, yes. And he said, you know, in, in fact, there, that, that particular um, YouTube video went viral. There's about seven and a half million views of my material up on YouTube, which I'm very proud of. And that's where I've gotten all, a lot of my evidence. So this guy says, well, Mark, uh, Mr. Shaw, I knew Dorothy, and I, that always perks my ears up because there's not that many people around that still do. Right. Oh, I wish I had known her. Anyway, so he says, uh, I need to talk to you. So I call this man, and uh, his name is Morris Wolf. He's not been identified until now. Uh, Morris Wolf is an amazing human being, a graduate of Yale. Uh, uh, a distinguished graduate uh, and, and Amherst College before that law school. Uh, he ended up uh, being in Washington, D.C., he told me. And he said, you know, I, I was uh, uh, one of the first jobs I had. I was recommended to Robert Kennedy. And I worked for Bobby Kennedy as kind of an assistant and gopher in some ways. And I knew Jack Kennedy when Jack Kennedy was in the White House. And in fact, I used to go ahead and you'll you'll see more people will read more about this relationship. But uh, you'll get a kick out of this because uh, the, the Kennedys asked him to pass uh, matters of, uh, of, of national security between the White House and the Justice Department, uh, either riding his bicycle or walking between the two or running between the two because they didn't uh, they couldn't be sure that J. Edgar Hoover wasn't tapping their phones. How, <laughs> the how old is the gentleman we're talking about? He's 87. Okay. They couldn't be sure that JFK wasn't tapping their phones. J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover wasn't tapping their phones. So that, you know, let up my, my mind. Uh, wait a minute. What? Oh, come on. He said, yes. And uh, I worked on Title II of the Civil Rights Act for, for Bobby Kennedy. And I can tell you about, and this is more in the book, I think people will get a kick out, the relationship between the Kennedys, kind of a playful jealousy that everything was okay, except that JFK got upset when Bobby's name was in the newspaper too much. Nobody's ever talked about that, but that's what he told me. Well, it's their egos, you know. And that. I want, yeah, and I want you to know that I've confirmed this material. It, it, it sounds too good to be true. It almost sounds like it can be fiction, but it's not. So where do we go from there? Well, he says, uh, the next thing just blew my mind. My wife will tell you I yelled because he said, I, I did know Dorothy Kilgallen. And I and that's when I was a legislative assistant to one of the Warren Commission members. 
And I said, really? He said, yes. Uh, Bobby Kennedy uh, recommended me to this man to be a legislative assistant. And so I started working for him. And I did errands and things, but also, uh, Mr. Shaw, I should tell you that I rode with him in his car. He was a tall man and he had trouble getting in his sob, but I uh, traveled with him to the hearings. I said, the Warren Commission hearings? He said, absolutely. And uh, at one point, I, I would be waiting for him and they I would sit in the back row and I could hear this. Nobody's ever gotten inside the Warren Commission all these years. I wanted to say to him, it's 60 years. Why didn't you come forward with this information? And basically what I believe is he felt loyalty to this particular member whose name is John Sherman Cooper of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So he said, Mr. Shaw, I just have to go ahead and I have to tell you, you know, I, I want to say one more thing about Morris before I go any further. You talk about a man of credibility and a man of distinction. He, he was the attorney who worked for years to try to get Raoul Wallenberg, who was the Swedish um, gentleman who saved, they say, about 100,000 lives during the, the uh, Holocaust out of a Russian prison. He worked without pay. He tried to do that forever. He wrote a book about it, whatever happened to, to um, uh uh, Raul Wallenberg, and that that particular book, there's excerpts from it in, in Fighting for Justice. It's in here as it should be, because it was a monumental task that he took on. And, you know, right away when he said that, I thought, my gosh, you're, you're a male version of Dorothy Kilgallen. You're a man of the truth. And you went all over all this and, and you did whatever you could. He couldn't get. In fact, he told me the story that he couldn't get uh, that all once it looked like Wallenberg would be released. And then a man named John Roberts got involved. And John Robert poisoned the deal by getting it into the political world with Ronald Reagan and Wallenberg ended up in uh, staying in that Russian prison forever. Well, you know who John Roberts is. That's the chief. That's the chief of the Supreme, Supreme Court justice. So anyway, so he's saying to me, all right, well, I went there and then he starts in and he starts telling me about things. He says. Mark, uh, LBJ was very crafty when it came to strangling or milking information from various sources. LBJ and Hoover had a bad habit and practice of sidestepping Attorney General Kennedy. The Attorney General was to have been, according to protocol, the first point of contact for any president to make into the Justice Department. Hoover technically was under Bobby Kennedy, but a practice of constant circumvision existed and Bobby knew all about it. He was peeved, pissed, and angry about the practice. And so he knows this information as he ends up uh, with John, as, uh, as being John Sherbin Cooper, uh, a, a legislative assistant. What did, uh, what did uh, Morris Wolf tell me? Well, he told me some of the things that Senator Cooper said to him on the way to the hearings. He called Senator Cooper a man of truth, a maverick politician, and you're gonna hear in a few minutes or so, Jackie Kennedy's uh, admiration for John Sherman Cooper. He's very skeptical of the slipshod job being done by the commission staff and its rush to judgment. The commission doesn't get it. It's more than Oswald, but Warren and Hoover keep pushing the Oswald alone idea. There's something very wrong going on the commission. My, re my views, and these are just a few of the things that you'll read, that people read in the book. My own views are different than the report conclusion. And then this one is the one that just struck me with a knife when I heard it. Talk about betrayal of the American people and the world in terms of what happened. They say this Oswald alone business is good for God and country, but there is in corruption and I don't know why. And then they know about the Ruby connection to organized crime. They don't want to touch it, but instead stick to the single bullet theory. That's well, that, that was all, as we know, I mean, now hindsight is twenty twenty, but, you know, Jay Gahuva was controlled by Costello for a long time. And well, he may have been, because Scott, you know, Costello wouldn't have wanted anything to get out about, uh, you know, the, the assassination uh, in terms of who was responsible and all that. No. And so what did, what did I do next? OK, with any source that you get. I knew about his impeccable credentials and everything, guys, but I wanted to make sure that I gave the reader a confirmation of some of these things. 
Um, you know, I, I, as you guys know, I'm blessed that the, my, my alma mater, Purdue University, is archiving my body of work. It's one of the great honors of my life uh, that they think enough of me. They've called me a distinguished alumni, and I always laugh at that because I almost dropped out of college. I was such a terrible student. But anyway, <laughs> these oral histories are gold. So I went, uh, you know, uh, I, I think uh, especially an investigator like, like Patrick would have done this. I wanted to see if there were oral histories of Senator John Sherman Cooper. I went to the University of Georgia, even though he graduated from the University of Kentucky. And uh, what I found was the other dissident among the Warren Commission members was Senator Richard Russell of Georgia. And he and, and Senator Cooper were very close friends. And they both, and I'll read you uh, a couple of things that uh, Senator Cooper wrote in memos that I think you'll find interesting. And so uh, he and Russell and Russell went to the University of Georgia. So they were, you know, both um, they were both disappointed in terms of what was going on. And you'll you'll see the action that they took, although J. Edgar Hoover never let it happen. So we went in there and I found out that uh, uh, Russell and Cooper had demanded in the report a dissent. And the dissent had to do specifically with rejecting this silver bullet theory that never made any sense then and doesn't make any sense now. You know, Cyril Wecht, who you may have had on your program, the distinguished forensic scientist who's been a great supporter of mine and everything, he said the whole uh, Warren Commission report was, was just the worst one he's ever ever seen regarding the death of, of somebody like a, like a President Kennedy. It, it just made no sense whatsoever. And so both of them wanted a dissent. They wanted to... Um, you know, uh, Cooper had said to, to Russell, according to the oral history, my own views are different than the than the um, than the report conclusion. So, so they asked for this dissent. They demanded this dissent. And J. Edgar Hoover and JFK and Earl Warren said, you betcha it'll be in there. Do you think it is? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Now I'm going to tell people uh, before you before you hear me say John Sherman Cooper as the as the Warren Commission member on the, on the cover of this book you know you've got RFK Dorothy Marilyn JFK and there's the commission handing the report to LBJ okay one of the things that the informant told me Mark take a look at that photograph and you will see very quickly who's not very happy about being there. I don't know if you can see this. I'm going to put it up as closely as I can. Raise it a little. Raise it a little. All right. Yeah. They, that help. All yeah, right. Yeah. So you got the commission members all the way across there. And then look at one of them kind of hiding behind the other. That's John that? Sherman Cooper. And that's wow. what the informer told me. And that was a confirmation. He didn't want anything to do with that. His reputation was at stake, and he didn't believe any of that bull that was going on. So that was very interesting to me. So what did I do in the oral history? I found out that he was um, he was very upset uh, with what's going on. Uh, he and Russell, he, uh, Cooper joined Russell in believing some aspects, many aspects of this case assassination, I cannot decide with absolute certainty. The inability to gather all evidence in certain areas, as well as a number of suspicious circumstances deduced from the record, preclude the conclusion, determination that Oswald and Oswald alone, without knowledge, encouragement, or in, in assistant of any person planned and perpetrated the assassination. See, he didn't believe it. And he didn't believe it. Dorothy Kilgallen didn't believe it. Do you think Dorothy Kilgallen was interviewed at the Warren Commission? Absolutely not. They would not have wanted her within, you know, a thousand feet of, of, of being there. No, as we, so, I mean, as we all know now, I mean, it definitely was a cover up. It was a, a whitewash and they just wanted to get it off the record, period. They know, they, yes, they yes Gianni, but, but, but listen, listen, people have speculated about that. There's never been ironclad proof. And I will tell you, this is as ironclad proof as you can get. And I'm honored that I could find it. Through oh, this no. gentleman, True. Uh, Morris Wolf, because he was there. I'll tell you what I compare it to. What do we know about the the, the, the Jack Ruby situation? Well, the, the Jack Ruby trial. Who was in the front row? She was there. I wasn't there. 
none of right. these damn authors and experts and everybody else who've written about the assassination, they weren't there. Dorothy was there. That's why All she's dead. Who, who speculate, Hello. who speculate about the Warren Commission corruption weren't there either. Morris was there. Right. Now we get to the, 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 uh, the uh, let me see what else. Oh, another, uh, uh, in, in the oral history, I found these comments about uh, uh, John Sherman Cooper by none other than Jackie Onassis. Now, oh yeah, I need to go back a minute. All right, so here's, here's the other thing he tells me. I said, wait a minute, you told me you knew Dorothy Kilgallen. He said, yeah, Mark. Now hear this because it, it's wild, okay, that this could happen. I used to go to soirees, he calls them, parties, at John Sherman Cooper's home in Georgetown at 29th and N Street. And I sat right next to Dorothy Kilgallen. I said, what? He said, yes, I was invited because I was a bachelor and they didn't have very many bachelors there. At times, JFK and Jackie would be there. I think Senator Cooper may have even at first introduced Jackie to JFK, but they were there at times, and there were other dignitaries there. But I was, I was asked to come because I was a, a, uh, a bachelor, and I sat right next to Dorothy. He called her a bright light bulb. So smart. Uh, still being her investigative reporter self because she kept quizzing me about anything that I knew about Senator Cooper. So that was the other thing that was absolutely amazing to me. Now, what could I confirm about that that made the the uh, account uh, uh, you know reliable? I went to the oral history again. Guess where John Sherman, Sherman Cooper lived in Georgetown, 29th and N Street. Now, I know that's a little thing. But Dorothy always looked at those little things, and I, I've learned from her. So it, it made sense, you know, in terms of what happened, uh, it, 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 what happened at that home. So then I found in the in the oral history, Jackie Onassis, who at uh, Jackie Kennedy knew knew uh, Cooper very well. Uh, the first couple to be asked to come to the White House when JFK became uh, president were. Uh, Lorraine and John Sherman Cooper. He had great respect, JFK did, for Senator Cooper. Senator uh, Jackie Onassis wrote later, he's a man of great character. She even compared him to another beloved Kentucky leader, Abraham Lincoln, noting his ability to connect with individuals from small town Kentucky to communities abroad. It's a question of character, really. If a man seems to you wife, profound, compassionate, intelligent, learn, learned, honest, you're going to look up to him. And he was also loved. He couldn't help but be loved. You just spent 15 minutes with him. You're going to love him. So that meant a lot to me finding that because I wanted to make sure that Cooper, uh, you know, was the kind of person that we could believe in terms of what he was telling uh, Morris about what happened uh, at, uh, at uh, the Warren Commission. Before you get into your next thought, let's go to commercial, and we'll be right back. Welcome, everybody, and I'm so happy to be able to tell you tonight that we are expanding not only the show, not only how you can participate and share into so many different facets of my life and the life of this podcast and the world we created, we are going to expand our family. You're going to have an opportunity to actually join our family. And it'll be up to you how far you go in our family. By the purchases of things we're putting out to you, um, the opportunities that you can take advantage of, like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, having me visit your home while you have 10 people for dinner. There's so many things that you're going to be so excited. Just go to HollywoodGodfatherFamily.com and have all the information you want. And believe me, I want you in my family. Don't let me come looking for you. Okay, we're back. All right, thank you. So I went back then and I wanted to see if I could connect what Dorothy Kilgallen said all right, uh, let me, I, I'm not clear there. 
We always wondered who gave Dorothy Kilgallen Jack Ruby's testimony before the Warren Commission, before it was supposed to be released. We talked about that in the last show, right? Sure. Right. All right. So I want to go back through uh, when these FBI agents came to her home, the same ones who raided her home on the day that she died and took all of her investigative files. Uh, I want to see what she actually said uh, to those agents. She stated she would identify she would identify the, the source as only a reasonable person who had a legal right to the transcript. She stated that she was the only person who knew the identity of the source and that she would die rather than reveal his identity. Miss Kilgallen said that she based her refusal to identify her source on the right of a newspaper reporter to protect her sources of the information. Miss Kilgallen specifically was asked whether or not the source was a member of the president's commission itself or a staff member or employee. She refused to answer. Now, yeah, she didn't deny it. She refused to answer. Well, that, that, that was that signed a death warrant right there. Well, you're you're way ahead of me, but you're you're getting there. That's for sure. Miss Kilgallen specifically was asked if the source was someone not on the commission, such as Ruby's defense counsel or someone else who was present during the interview with Ruby or who might legally have received a copy of the transcript. She refused to answer. Ms. Kilcallen also said that she would refuse to give the date on which she received the Ruby transcript and refused to identify the city in which she obtained it. And then these next few words, these three, four sentences were the ones that really captivated me. Ms. Kilgallen did state that her source was a man and not a woman. She said her source is a friend, is a friend of hers of long standing. She stated the source gave her the transcript as a friendly gesture. Oh, and who does she tell this to? She tells this the to FBI agents. the FBI agents who interview her at her townhouse. Yeah. One, now she was a very savvy, intelligent, streetwise person. Why would she even say that? Well, you have to notice that she denied certain things, but she refused to answer when asked whether it was source was a member of the Warren Commission uh, and, and whether, you know, different different things like that. She, I think she felt like she had to answer the questions, but she wasn't going to give them any answers that they could use. And so the, the whole situation with a friend of long standing, a friendly gesture and all of that, I don't believe that, you know, one evening Dorothy Kilgallen uh, ended up running to a, into a friend when she was going to work at the Journal of America. Uh, he was a friend that's mentioned in the Rothberg report, which talks about Dorothy's UFOs. By the way, I have a fo new photograph of the book of her being uh, in uh, New Mexico in, in the area where the UFOs are. Uh, but this gentleman ran into her and she had a copy of Life magazine, the one that has Oswald on the front with the rifle and everything. And he said, what's that? And she opened it up and she had this sheaf of papers and she said, this is Jack Ruby's testimony before the Warren Commission. I do not believe but no, so go ahead. I asked Morris Wolf whether John Sherman Cooper was the one who gave Dorothy Kilgallen the Jack Ruby testimony before the commission. And he said, it's very likely. I do not believe that he personally gave those materials to Dorothy. He probably used an intermediary to do so. So that's, I believe, a very credible report as to how she ended up getting that material. And then we take it on one step further. And this is where I believe Gianni mentioned she was dead. She's going to write this book for Random House and she's going to put that in there and she's going to put in what she learned from Ruby and she's going to put in there about Marcello and she's going to put all that in there. You know, that that cannot be done. But no, she's putting all the pieces of the bundle together. That's right. She's solving, she's solving believe, the crime. But I also believe that she was aware of the corruption at the Warren Commission. Of course she was. She was given that. And that was the that was it. When she remember, remember, Gianni, uh, uh, in a previous show and in collateral damage, I talked about one another one of these amazing moments in my life with regard to research. I found a casino boss in Las Vegas at the Sand Host Sand Sands Hotel who wished to be unidentified. So that because of him being scared for his his life still, even though it's a 
a long time from then. And he was the one that gave me all the inside information about how such a bad guy Frank Sinatra was. Was his first name Joe? You know, it's been so long since I've talked to him, I can't remember, but it could be. I, anyway, I know who he is. I know he talked well. about um, Frank Sinatra wanting money all the time and everything else and how he beat up one of the casino bosses, everything else like that. And, and just as I was done, I said something to him. Do you know Ron Pataki? And as you guys remember, Ron Pataki is the journalist who was involved with Dorothy romantically just before she died. He was a Columbus, Ohio journalist. I think he way younger than her. I think he kind of used her to, to, to move his career up. But she's one of the few people. Uh, she shared some information about her JFK assassination investigation with. And she, she trusted him enough to do that. But the casino boss, and this chilled me when I heard it, he said, you know, yeah, I knew him. And I will tell you, I heard about him. I heard about him that in the fall of 1965, he got in trouble. And he, he believed it was gambling debts. And he said, then, Mark, I believe that he was compromised. And he was told that if he let whoever it was, government agents, he said, or underworld people or whatever, know what Dorothy was going to put in that book for Random House, she was dead. His comment, she was dead. Is uh, Pataki still alive? So that was my next thing I was going to mention. I am sick to my stomach and I feel like such a failure. But I tried through the New York, uh, as you know, the New York DA, Vance Jr. I tried to Shea, the police commissioner. I tried every way for them to interrogate um, uh, Ron Pataki about what would happen, what, what happened back in 1965. I, I bombarded him with questions and emails. I did everything asking him to let me know what happened. He never did. And about five or six months ago, he finally died at, at age 86. Okay, don't, don't blame this on yourself. I spent a, many years on that job. Yeah, but I should have got it done. I should have got it done. If I no way. Had the rest of myself. Mark, you can't blame yourself for it. If the I'm largest gonna... police department in the world, I mean, if they tell you yeah. they're not going to do something, no yeah. matter who you are and, and what kind of pull you have and the logic that you have, the case is closed. And the last thing they want to do is reopen it. So don't blame yourself for it. They just w wouldn't do it. Well, I felt I feel like I let her down, but uh, thank you for saying that. But I, 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 you know, I'm told he died a lonely, miserable man consumed with guilt. And I think that's who he was. But I wish I could have gotten him to come forward. I had some relatives of him who put pressure on him, did everything I could that way. But the point is, again, I think that he uh, he, he compromised. I think he was a snitch. I think he told none other than the, the, the FBI agents, maybe Hoover himself. Uh, that Dorothy, what Dorothy was going to put in that book, including the uh, what Ruby said, including the Warren Commission uh, uh, corruption and all of that. And they, they couldn't let her die. And for people who don't know, by the way, on November 8th, 1965, uh, she was found, which was what, two days ago, the anniversary. Uh, she was found in an apartment she never slept in, in her townhouse on East 80, 80, uh, 68th Street, uh, wearing clothes she never wore to bed. Uh, she had her eyelashes, makeup, her hair piece on. Um, the investigators came and, and found her in a room she never slept in. And they concluded because there was an empty second all bottle that she died of an overdose of drugs. I've proven uh, in the reporter who knew too much and subsequent. It's the same thing they she, did with Marilyn. It's the same well, yeah, copycat, had, was, copycat yeah. situation. That's right. They had three uh, barbiturates in her system. Uh, and I think Pataki is the one on the night that she died. She was with him who may have, have poisoned her. So uh, that's how Dorothy died. And she took with her. There was no investigation of any kind. She disappeared from the face of the earth. Now, that's one thing I am proud of. And through my books and programs like yours, we've kind of brought this woman back to life, which, which, yeah. which I think we should be happy about. But the other thing that happened is on the morning that she died, I have her uh, Butler's um, daughter, who I, I interviewed in New York City and, and confirmed this, uh, just after her body was found, the uh, agents, uh, he didn't know exactly, but they told, said they were FBI agents who came to the home, raided it, took all of her investigation um, materials. Uh, I still think they're out there someplace. I, I hope I've tried the Freedom of Information Act with the FBI, but I don't oh, know they're if gone. find them. All of that stuff is gone. And you know, it's interesting that, you know, the thread between 
my association through all of this, just as a curious young kid and being mm -hmm. arm's length from it all, Mark Sinclair founder. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And if you if you want to have some tears in your eyes, just go listen to him, his account of doing that. Uh, it's at the Dorothy Kilgallen story.org. And of course, I have it in the, the books as well. I mean, he was just such a shock to him because he walked in there. You know, there was a there was a book on her lap upside down. Uh, her reading glasses weren't around. I mean, come on, you know, and nobody spoke up for, her. you know, we all hope if says if somebody says terrible things about Patrick. He hopes that somebody will say, well, wait a minute, uh, or, or one of his friends will say, wait a minute, that's not the Patrick I know. He wouldn't he wouldn't do that. But with Marilyn and with Dorothy, nobody spoke up. No, nope. everybody knew Marilyn didn't commit suicide. Look, at, look at the columns that Dorothy wrote. She's on the upswing. She's going to remarry Joe DiMaggio. She has Broadway shows and offers and all of that with Dorothy. She was at the pinnacle of her career with what she was doing. But her her um, her family, her colleagues at, uh, at What's My Line, her colleagues at the newspapers, nobody said, no, 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 Dorothy would never have overdosed on drugs and all of that. But she never had a history of drugs to begin no, with. Oh, not at all. Worse than Marilyn. Marilyn had a history. Yeah, she did. But, you know, when Dorothy killed Gallon, I, I mean, I remember just the conversations that I overheard mm -hmm. with the people that we're all talking about now. It, mm -hmm. uh, nobody believed it, but again, nobody would go to defense to it because of the powers that be that were behind it all. Well, all you have to do is go watch that final. What's I, I'm thrilled that people around the world go watch the reruns of What's My Life. <laughs> They're great. Yeah. Groucho Marx is fun on there, and Dorothy is so competent. Go watch the last program before she died that night. You'll see she's she's sharp. She's not slurring her words. Yeah. She she guesses the uh, occupations of a woman who sells dynamite. Who I have an account from in the book. Uh, you know, there was no there was no evidence of that whatsoever. But whoever was responsible for her death, and I believe now I used to think it probably was Marcelo's people, but now I believe it was probably Hoover's people. But they yeah, would have Hoover's easily people. been able to cover up um, any investigation of any kind. So now we get to the cover up of the of the uh, Warren Commission uh, uh, corruption. Well, there were several ways that they did this. Uh, first of all, uh, memo, they never looked into John Sherman Cooper. I have in front of me a December uh, 5th, 1963 uh, memorandum by Cooper. He says, Earl Warren asked about the CIA. Do they have anything? When told of Mexico and never August, he mentioned da, da 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 He knew all I did and more about the CIA. But something strange is happening. Uh, Warren and Katzenbach know all about the FBI and they are and 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 its incompetence and others planning to show Oswald only one being considered. This is this is to, to me an untenable position. I must inside. I must insist on outside counsel. And then I have a, a document that other people should have found. This is John Sherman Cooper's letter of resignation. He never sent it, but there it is. And he was so upset with what was going on that he had decided he was going to resign from the commission. So those kind of things are what I found. And then because of the whole mention of Katzenbach, you may remember, he was assistant attorney general, right, to Robert Kennedy. Right. Well, he appears because uh, J RFK is so distraught over the death of his brother, uh, who's uh, with, with uh, Robert Kennedy, I think in my mind, knowing for sure that it was his actions against Marcello and the mafia that caused the death of his brother. He's so distraught. He's at home in, in Virginia and all that. He's not coming well, that's around. Funny so you should say that, you know, because when he deported Marcellos, he raided their house on a Sunday afternoon when he had his family and grandchildren there on a Sunday just to embarrass him. And he said, and there were, there were, there were many witnesses to it, he well, when he when Marcelo said you're a dead man, he said, Oh, you're threatening an attorney general. Marcelo said, I'm not threatening you, I'm promising you. And they let him off. They oh them. man. Boy, I wish I'd known about this kind of thing. Uh, I, I'm gonna call the publisher. We're gonna reissue this book. We gotta put some stuff in there that you know. <laughs> but anyway, I'll do something with it. Thank you. 
So what, what do we know about Katzenbach? Well, you know, an RFK disciple, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to protect the Kennedys. What, is, what, what does an LBJ want to happen? And I even found a KBG uh, document uh, that says that uh, they, can, they can prove that LBJ had something to do with JFK's assassination. Well, he doesn't want that kind of thing to come out. Of course he doesn't so. want anything to come out that could, could show anything he had to do with his uh, disgraceful uh, past in terms of the oil companies and Billy Solis did this all. He doesn't want it. That's why he wants a, 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 wants a, a, a commission investigation of Oswald alone, and that's it. And that's the only one. Well, what's, L, what's LBJ scared about? I mean, that's LBJ. What's, uh, what's uh, Hoover worried about? If it's a nut Oswald who killed JFK, then the, the FBI and Hoover can't be held accountable. But if there's a plot to kill the president, then, you know, there's going to be an uproar with regard to this. So he's and got that's what it was, clues. a mafia plot. Rob, yeah. What does Robert Kennedy and Joe Kennedy have to show, uh, have to lose? And I put this in the book, kind of the winners and losers. Right. Well, w- they certainly don't want any investigation of the Kennedy family and the fixing well, of the two years, as you know, or if you if you follow the de- the timeline, they they were patient enough. Once once they called off, you know that there were no missiles in Cuba, then they went into other. I mean, they got Santo Traficante and Johnny Roselli, and they trained them because Santo Traficante had a relationship with Fidel Castro. They felt he can get close enough to him. They came up with the craziest things, this poison powder, because he's always playing with his beard. I mean, some of the stuff you read and what I overheard, I, it was like a joke. Was that good? Well, they don't want to they don't they don't want to get into any of that, you see. They don't no. want to get into fixing the election. And they certainly don't want to get into uh, an investigation of Marilyn Monroe's death. No, uh, because that's going to bring Robbie Kennedy right into the to the into play. So what do they do? Well, they have uh, Katzenbach get involved and he goes ahead and he, um, you know, he ta- uh, my, my informant talks about how Cooper hated uh, all of this, uh, um, you know, all of this, uh, you know, situation with regard to untruths and all that kind of thing. But Katzenbach gets involved and he goes ahead and he actually sends a memorandum to the Warren Commission. And I have that memorandum in the book. Wow. Uh, to focus on Oswald alone and nothing else. Put a stop to anything else that you're going to look into. And uh, it, it's just mind boggling that that's that's the power you see that Joe Kennedy and, and Bobby Kennedy had. They don't want them to look anywhere else with regard to this. They don't even want them to look into Frank Sinatra with regard to. I have two new chapters on Frank Sinatra in the book. They don't want to go back into any of that and the connections between the Kennedys and the 1960 election, Marcello, all those people. You know, this is Investigation 101. And, you know, to, to uh, preface that, you have a body of men, powerful men with an unlimited budget and uh, the eyes of the world upon them. And they disregarded a basic premise of investigations. To do a proper investigation, you look at the evidence and you form a theory. What they did was they formed a theory and then they cherry pick the evidence to fit oh, that yeah, theory. Excellent, excellent. And, and that is, you know, you, you can look at the, the John Bonet Ramsey case, the same thing. They looked at mm-hmm. the parents, and as soon as the parents said, after they were advised of their rights, you have the right to counsel, well, they exercised that right. And as soon mm-hmm. as they did that, pissed off the cops, and they zeroed in on the parents to the exclusion of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And after a while, the evidence starts to go away. People die, people move, people forget. Right, right. And you're talking about something that's very similar. Right. Was a very poor investigation, that's the way I look at it. Whether they were right or wrong, I'm not passing any judgment on that, but they didn't go about it correctly. No, they didn't. And and if you if you look at the specific uh, comments that Senator Cooper made to uh, Mr. Wolf, one of them stuck out for me. They know about uh, Jack Ruby's uh, connections to organized crime, and they're not going to do anything about it. Well, organized crime, I mean... That's that's looking into the window of all those bad guys we've talked about. Once again, very picking your evidence and why absolutely you, and you're trying to uh, prove your theory. You're not going to prove that anyone else is involved. You know you can't no. do that. 
And yet, you know, when when the report is issued, and I have the report in uh, the the uh, substance of the report in the in the new book, Fighting for Justice, they uh, basically commend themselves on what we did. Senator Cooper was also upset because he said uh, most of the time the members were not even there, and Morris Wolf told me this too, when the hearings were going on, they were staff members, and, and so the. The members didn't even hear an awful lot of this. It was uh, a sham. To begin. It, it, it was. It was. But, it, you know, again, I, I say um, it, it, the betrayal here to the American public and then the Oswald alone theory perpetuated through the years. Six for a museum everywhere. All, all these books and everything else. Well, let's I say, uh, uh, Mark, let's say for the sake of argument that the commission was right. They went about it in the wrong way. And and it, it, the way they conducted that investigation cast doubt on the results. And if they would have done it the right way and got the same results, then maybe, maybe people would say, hey, maybe they have something here. But given the way they conducted themselves, no one can say that. But nobody knew it. See, nobody looked into it, unfortunately. Uh, they just got away with what may be one of the biggest lies in American history, that the Oswald alone situation. And that's just been perpetuated forever instead of really looking into what Dorothy Kilgallen looked into. If they just think, okay, think about a couple things here, because I do. If they'd listened to Dorothy, if they would have listened to her, if, if the media would have listened to her with her columns and what she was saying and all of that. Well, I think they were listening. Could have changed. One of the reasons perhaps that she was killed. People well, I, I think so. Exactly. But the other one is what, what if she had lived? She would have. Uh, she would have written this book. She, well, she would have disclosed it all. That, we don't let her live. Disclosed it all. Uh, my my opinion is, and I don't like to speculate, but my opinion is that Hoover would have been indicted for for covering up the assassination. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, Marcello may have been arrested for being involved. They probably would have looked more into that with a proper investigation with someone like you, who's who's competent to to look into all of this. But they couldn't let that happen. And so, unfortunately, it started it started with Marilyn's death, which was so did. insignificant. You know, nobody was going to believe her. But Dorothy Kilgallen has the credibility. And that's the difference. Here, here's the thing at times when I wake up in the middle of the night with thinking about all this. And I, I said this in Collateral Damage. It's in the new book as well. If Robert Kennedy would have been prosecuted based on compelling evidence at the time, Compelling uh, evidence, complicity in Marilyn Monroe's death. At, at least, let me interrupt you for a second before I forget. At least a grand jury. At least a grand jury. Then Very he least. would have had to have resigned. He wouldn't have gone ahead and and done what he did to persecute, um, you know, double-cross the mafia. There would have been no JFK assassination, in my opinion, and I think in Dorothy's opinion. And Dorothy Kilgallen would have never died early because there would have been no JFK assassination for her to investigate. Right. So that's where the downfall was back then. Unfortunately, yep. Bobby Kennedy got away with it. I've got new two new accounts as to how Marilyn died in the book, and both of them point right at Bobby in terms of what happened. Now, let me just I don't want to miss uh, talking about this. The relationship between Joe Kennedy and J. Edgar Hoover. And so here's Joe in the background as he always was, and here's Hoover masterminding the commission and Joe and Bobby through Katzenbach or Joe personally talking to Hoover. Hey, you know, we gotta watch what's going on there and everything. They became friends way back in 1944, I've, I've proven. Uh, Joe was uh, in, in Boston as a special service consultant or something. And uh, he, he, the Bureau um, oversaw that particular commission. And so then I've gone ahead and I've been able to show that, um, you know, J. Edgar Hoover basically was, uh, was uh, panning up to Hoover. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Joe Kennedy was panning up to Hoover. He wrote an article, uh, Hoover did, uh, that the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, Joe said was a real masterpiece about communist collusion and uh, illusion in democratic society. Uh, audiences are completely sympathetic to your ideas, Edgar. And Ed Edgar wrote back, thank my thanks for your thoughtfulness and, com and compliments. And uh, then, then Hoover wrote to, uh, um, to, to Joe Kennedy, I want you to know how pleased I am with the election of the president of the United States, more warm personal regards. 
But then it goes on and it talks about the fact that um, I'm, how, I'm so grateful to you, Joe wrote to uh, Hoover. If you decide to run for president, I will give you all the resources, financial resources you need. Uh, here we go again. Huh? <laughs> but, I mean, just unbelievable. Well, I, I tell you, Mark, that's a, uh, I think a great way to end this episode. There's so much more in, in the book and we don't want to give it away. It is a masterpiece as uh, your other books have been. And we want to thank you for being on the show. It's, has no, been thank you again. Well, I couldn't do it without you guys. And uh, because of my being on the show before, you know, I kept pursuing the truth. That's my job. Uh, uh, you know, I, I have this comment right over here. The dead cannot cry out for justice. It's the duty of the living to do so for them. So I guess I have a duty there, but I couldn't yeah. do it without you. And I will bet you and I will let you know that the people that uh, watch or hear this program or whatever, I'll get some tips from them. And I'm also going to steal every single new piece of evidence that uh, Gianni gave me. Uh, <laughs> I may or may not give him credit. I'm, I'm it's not my sure. blessing. No, don't but, give me uh, any credit. That's why they call it stealing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thanks, guys. And, and especially for your for your kind words about what I do. No, okay. thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Have, have a good night. Right. Again, an amazing interview, an amazing guy. And definitely get this new book. Believe me, it's an eye-opener and the facts of life and the lies that we've been fed. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around